We're continuing in our, our series and the Ten Commandments, so open your Bibles with you, uh, with, if you have it with you, Exodus chapter 20. Um, you know, as, as we've said, we're going, we're looking at three basic things in all these commandments. I think it helps us grab hold of them. What did it mean for Israel? Um, what, what, what did it protect us? What does it protect us from? What, what is the positive nature of the command? You know, commands were a good thing. And then uh, to look at what does it mean for us? What did Jesus say about this? How did Jesus use it and uh, apply it to our lives? Um, I just remind you also that if you've missed uh, a few of these, these connect. I'll probably met, mention what I said in another commandment because they're all kind of connected uh, and feed off one another. I, they're all going to be on our website, so you can go back and say, hey, I missed you know, commandment two, three, um, I'd like to go listen to that. You're going to be able to on our website. Just go to Ashnaz, or you can go, if you listen to podcasts, uh, if you have a podcast app on your phone, you can go uh, just look for Asheville Nazarene, and all of our sermons go on there. If you're wondering what a podcast is, it's just digital radio um, for any of us. It's, you can download radio programs, and so um, it's kind of one of those newfangled things. But Exodus chapter 20, looking um, at the great Sabbath commandment, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth the sea, and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, in these moments, would you uh, bless these words? May your spirit infuse them. Take these thoughts, my broken sentences, and turn them into the music of the gospel. May our hearts be open and our ears open to hear a word from you this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Who are you? I, I, that's not just an intro question. I, I really want us to think about this morning the question of who are we? Say, Pastor, you may have the wrong intro to the wrong sermon. <laughs> We're talking about Sabbath here. Sabbath really is a question, a reminder of who we are. I really think there's probably no more important question, uh, hear me, and you can argue this, but really there's no more important question that we will ever answer in our lives than who we are. Who we are as humanity, but really who you are. Um, as, we even, as I think about being a father and raising my son, instilling him a strong sense of who he is, it's probably one of the most, it is the most important thing I'll do for him. Because of course, I, I, I'll cut to the end here, because I believe our identity has to be rooted in Jesus Christ. And that is who we are. But I think it's fair to say, or all of us realize it's not just that simple. Just say, hey, you're a child of God, you're in Jesus Christ, and go on your merry way. Why? Because this world... Our lives try to tell us so many different answers in who we are. That we will struggle to believe 
who we really are. We will search for our identity in a number of things. And so today, as we think about the question of who we are, we'll really see that Sabbath gets to the very heart of it. Be as it did for Israel. We, we think of the Ten Commandments, and sometimes we take them out of context, but we shouldn't, and we should remember that they just came out of Egypt. Uh, the Israelites just came out of over 400 years of slavery. Slavery in any of its forms throughout history is never kind, and, and uh, Israelite slavery was not kind at all. It was grinding work. They were Pharaoh's slaves. They were slaves to the Egyptian empire. And all they were in the Egyptian empire, they weren't people. You know what they were? Brickmakers. Brickmakers. When Pharaoh looked at the Israelites, all he saw were not children of God, were not even humans. All he saw were brickmakers. He would just tell them, make bricks, and they made bricks. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, every day of their lives, for 400 years, they made bricks for Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh looked at them, hit them, he didn't care one way or the other. That's why he was willing to kill every male child. Why? Because they were just brickmakers. They were disposable. They were replaceable. They weren't even human. They were simply brickmakers because they made bricks. Their existence, the reason that they were on this earth, according to Pharaoh, was in the amount of bricks they made. Nothing more, nothing less. Who they were, their identity, was only in that they made bricks. That's how Pharaoh saw the Israelites. And so when God brings them and frees them from slavery, as God is always trying to do for people in bondage throughout history, when God frees them, He's bringing them into the desert to form them as his people. The main thing he has to address is who they are. And the main thing he needs to instill in them, that Pharaoh always tried to instill in them, a competing vision of who they were. To Pharaoh, they were brickmakers. And to God, God was going to reveal the truth of who they were. They are not brickmakers. They are humans. First and foremost, and if you want to go back, commandment two, we talked about what it means to be made in the image of God. They are people made in the image of God, but more than that, the Israelites were called to be the unique, holy people of God. And the first stop to becoming the people of God is to realize that you are not a brick maker. Who you are is not dependent on what you make. You are a child, a chosen person of God. But as we look at the commandment found in the Ten Commandments, and we think about what it meant for Israel, we see that this wasn't just the identity that God was enforcing to, to the Israelites. Did you notice that in the commandment? That it wasn't just even for the male or the female Israelites that it was also for the male and the female slaves or servants. And we're going to talk about servanthood in the Israelite culture in just a second. But it wasn't even just, just for humans. This is where it gets kind of wild. I love the I, Sabbath commandment. I'm going to try to keep it short today. It's one of my favorites, as we'll look at it. It's a wide-ranging set of laws. But it wasn't even just for humans. 
It was even for the animals. Who would have thought to say, hey, the animals need a day of rest? Why? Because they're animals, even animals. I'm a dog lover. They are not just brick makers either. They are just not disposable tools. They are creatures of God, created intentionally and things that he called good. So they're not just tools for us to use and dispose of. But it's going to even go further than that. That even we're going to see that the land, the earth itself, is not just a brick maker. It's not just something that we can rape and pillage to our heart's desire. It is a good creation of God that needs its rest. The Sabbath commandment is actually a universal picture of what it means to be a creation and a creature of God, the living God that created the heavens and the earth. This is one of, and we talk about the Ten Commandments as forming the people of God in a very unique, do you know this? You wouldn't know it from reading the Bible. Um, but there, there's sometimes there's laws that, were, that God commanded that were similar to what other cultures were doing. You know, just do not kill a lot of, you know, and I think by the Holy Spirit divine, a lot of cultures realize we can't go around killing each other, you know. Nobody else, and I mean no one, scholars can't find and hint of any other culture during this time period 3,000 years ago that had any command or practice like the Sabbath commandment. And I think that should speak to the divine revelation, but also the uniqueness to what? the revelation that Israel had for us. No one was doing this. So how was Israel to think about this? I think we can see how Israel was to think about this in the two commandments that are given. Do you know, you know, there's a set of 10 commandments in Deuteronomy as well, and there's a set in Exodus. So in Exodus, as we just saw, the, the kind of thinking through of the commandment really is this, that God created everything, and he ordained a day of rest. Let me translate that. And I think some traditions take this the wrong way. Some people have said, ah, God chose precisely one day to be special, and you better not mess up anything on that day, uh, or you'll be breaking the law, right? And so you better figure out what that day is. And some traditions, I know there's even entire denominations based on what, which day is it, right? What in Exodus, the commandment's referring to is that within the very fabric of creation, God built in the need and the goodness of rest. That how creation was formed from the very beginning was a need, but also a goodness of rest. That we were never created to go seven days, 365 days a year, right? We were never meant to maximize to the fullest everything that we have. Built in how you were created, you need rest. I mean, it's kind of built in, we need to sleep, right? But even just from the top of humanity down to the lowest ants to the, the earth itself, rest is good. And it's built into creation. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy explains it like this. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's very similar. In six days you should labor and do all your work. Uh, but in verse 15 in Deuteronomy, it says this. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand, and an outstretched, uh, outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so in Deuteronomy, we see the other way that the Israelites were to think about it, and that's kind of the larger picture that I'm really looking at it as. 
as a question of identity. You were once a slave, you were once a brick maker, but I freed you from that reality and that identity. So now you are to take a Sabbath day and rest. Because that is not who you are. And now I'm going to show you who you are with a Sabbath day. We're going to talk about more about that in just a second. So these two ways to think about the Sabbath day. But we can't just stop with Exodus and Deuteronomy here because in reality, as sometimes the commandments are, they are an umbrella for larger laws in the Old Testament. I'm not going to go through all this. We don't have time for that. But I just want us to even mention it so we know that the Sabbath day actually didn't just stop at a day. Did you know that? Now you keep going with the sevens, all right? So we take one, one day out of seven to be devoted to God uh, and to rest. And then you, you go and you take uh, the seventh day of the seventh week. Basically, uh, you don't take a whole week off, but that seventh uh, day of the seventh week, basically the 50 days, was the Israelites' time in their culture to take their offerings to the, to the temple. Basically, they take their tithes and their offerings and to celebrate God and to realize um, so they would take, there's outlines of how many bulls or lambs and different things. We don't need to go in there. So it was the seventh day on the seventh week, right? And then it, you keep going. And so the seventh year, one year out of seven, get this though. And again, we, I don't have time to go into all this, but this isn't the, the culture where you can just go to the grocery store or you can Amazon Prime some coffee beans to your front desk and never leave your couch. Uh, this was a time where they were subsistence farming. What you farmed is what you ate, Right? So think about how scary this is. One year out of seven, you couldn't plant. You couldn't sow. This is all in Leviticus 23 through 25, if you want to fact check me. Uh, You couldn't go out there and prune. You couldn't work the fields at all. You simply had to give the land the rest it required. You had to give the land the rest, and then you had to trust that the food was going to come up. Now, I mean, there's a practical side of this. If you've been planting the fields, and if you have a vineyard, more than likely things are going to grow still, but you couldn't have a hand in it. You had to give the land its rest once every seventh year. Talk about trust. Okay, doesn't stop there, though. Because seven times seven years is 49. Scholars debate if it was on the 49th year or the 50th year because it kind of says both in the scripture. But on the 50th year, basically, we've, we've heard about it was what? The Jubilee. And the Jubilee basically says this, and I can't go into it. It's a beautiful thing that goes into the ministry of Christ. The Jubilee basically says this. Not only are you not allowed to go plant your fields, but basically all the wealth You've created in the last 50 years all the land you've acquired. Maybe you've acquired more than it was originally allotted to you. You have to give that back to who you got it from. You have to go back to what was originally apportioned to your family. But the flip side of that was that if you've entered into servanthood or slavery, and really servanthood and slavery for Israel was an economic reality, that if you couldn't basically pay your bills, you could sell your service to someone else. If you've just had a hard time, we all fall in hard times. If you just had a hard time and you had to go work for a guy and you had to sell kind of yourself out in, in, in labor, at that jubilee, you'd be freed. So no, no matter if it got, you just had a great 50 years and God blessed you and you accumulated a lot or you had a really hard 50 years and it went, things went south and you've had to have been working for 
uh, you know, someone in slavery. It didn't matter because things reset. You know why? Because whether you made a lot or you didn't do well in business at all, that doesn't define who you are. God never created you to be a servant or a slave for the rest of your life. That was never God's intention and purpose. And so every 50 years, Israel is commanded to take the Sabbath Jubilee. Okay, I'll start preaching on Jubilee, but that's not really my intent. We need to stick with the commandment. So I just hope we realize that the Sabbath laws are much bigger than just this commandment for one of every seven days. All right, so what does this protect us from? As we look at um, the positive nature, this isn't just a command like, oh boy, I better be careful not to work on a day. What is the positive thing that this is protecting us from? The positive thing that's protecting us from is Pharaoh's vision. Pharaoh's vision of who you are. And I hate to tell you, Pharaoh's vision is alive and well today of who you are. Our culture tries to put it in you every chance it gets. You know how, this is how ingrained it is in in us. It it is in me. I'll be confessional now. If I met met Bill Gates, a CEO, one of the richest men in the world, you know, most successful thing, I would be like, whoa, right? But if I met Bill Gates, front office person that worked there for two years, I wouldn't know them from Adam. I wouldn't think twice about it, right? Why? Because we believe that because the CEO is so successful, they've produced so many bricks, and they've done it so well that they're better, or they're smarter, or they're stronger, or they're most beautiful. In every sphere of life, our world is trying to say, what you create who you are. I mean, what do we do when you meet some? Hey, Frank, good to meet you. What do you do? Right? Really, what we're asking is, who are you? I need to know if I need to be impressed right now. That's the question we're asking. Is it not? That's how our world operates. And so if you say, I'm unemployed, a lot of our culture looks down on you. Let's just be honest. Or, Or if you... I'm going to get in trouble today. If you're receiving assistance, what does our culture say? Oh, you're one of those takers. You're one of those that we're having to provide for. Let me tell you, the Sabbath laws, they go against all of this. All of that basically looks as dumb to God as us comparing how many bricks the Israelites made that day and how good those bricks looked. That's how foolish it looks like. You know why? Because when God looks to every one of us, he sees a person made in his image. He does not look at what we create or don't create. That is a vision that will destroy us. It brings destruction. It brings harm and God's good creation. And so God says, don't look yourself to what you create. So you need to stop. You need to stop once every seven days, once every seven years, and you need to reset things every 50 years. Make sure you don't get it twisted about who you are. That's what it protects us from. There's another thing it protects us from, though, and it's connected to that. You know what it protects us from? The idea that we're self-sustaining. Right? 
I mean, just from the front of it, uh, the idea is that you need to stop once every seven days to make sure that you don't start to believe that how well you're making bricks. And I say that because then we sound how, see here how foolish it sounds, right? That you don't believe how well you're making those bricks really does determine your safety, your worth, and your future, right? That no matter how well you till the ground, no matter how well good you are at business, no matter how good you are at saving and how frugal you are, your life, your future, your well-being is not dependent on the things you do, ultimately. You may have, a, you may have an impact on the other six days. But ultimately, who you are comes only from God the Father and Jesus Christ who we are created through. That's what God's saying. That's what we really see as we look at the other Sabbath laws, that you have to take a year and not touch the ground. Why? Because you need to remember who it is that really provides for you. You need to remember, I mean, how many of us, and this, this idea in our culture that we you know, make our own way, uh, that we did it all by ourselves, how many of us came to our parents with $100,000 in hand? That's how that much they say it's going to take me to raise. I think that's a low estimate, actually. That's how much they say it's going to take to raise my son. How many of us came to our parents and said, hey, here's $100,000. I'd like to be born now. Uh, I'll make my own way and provide for my own self. Anybody do that? No. From the moment we were born, we were dependent on others. But how many of us came to God and said, God, I'd like to be born right now. I'll make my own way. Thank you. No. You, from the very moment of conception, were created by God. Your life depends on on God. And as we go throughout life and we start to see, I'm not putting down hard work, not at all. But there's a danger that we begin to believe, huh, I'm doing okay. See, I can do this. I pulled myself up from my boot traps. I don't need anybody. I actually think what I'm talking about right now is the most dangerous thing to faith in the world. You know how I can prove that? Look at history and look as nations develop, as they become wealthier, faith goes down quickly. Do you know why we're sending missionaries to Europe right now? Have you ever been to Europe? It's beautiful. They have some of the best programs and healthcare. I mean, they just things, I, I've been, it's beautiful, it's great. No one needs a thing sometimes you look around and you're like, I don't. I don't see a poor person around here sometimes, right? I know they are. When we start to believe, faith in Europe and everywhere, and I think in this country as well, faith goes down when we start to believe, I don't need God. I'm doing A-OK by myself. I got everything I need. Because you start believing the lie that your life is dependent on you. And we lose our dependence on God. And the reality is, it's all a fraud, Right? Uh, the, the idea that I can only depend on me is a fraud. I am always, always dependent on our Heavenly Father. Everything I have is a blessing from God, one way or the other. And the Sabbath comes to us and says, Israelites, don't ever forget that I brought you out of Egypt. Don't ever forget that it was never because of the bricks you made. Don't ever forget when you're in that promised land and things are going great, don't ever forget it is still me that is providing for you. Do you see it? Question of identity. 
and a question of who provides for us. The Sabbath comes to us and it protects us from these lies. They say, oh, we have so many goodness and blessing. And you know what the good news is? It doesn't come from your own work. It comes from our Heavenly Father that wants to give us good things. That what we just sang about will never forsake you. That is the truth of the Sabbath. That we can stop. And things won't fall apart. We don't have to run like crazy. But we know God is holding our life. God is holding our family. God is holding our jobs, our house, in his hands. That is not up to us. That's what Sabbath is. When we take a Sabbath, not only is it just, ah, it's not all up to me. It's to remind ourselves who am I? I'm not that brick maker that the world looks at me like I am at six days a week. I'm a child of God. I'm his creation. That's who I am before anything. All right, let's, let's look at, we've talked about kind of what it means for us, but I want to look in a very practical way how this works out in our lives because Sabbath, if you grew up in the church, uh, Sabbath is a word you just grew up saying, it's been a part of your life, but I think we need to talk about practically spiritually what it looks like in our lives uh, as Christians. But uh, first, if you ever read the Gospels, though, you realize of any of the commandments, really, Sabbath is the one that gets picked up the most, right? Uh, Jesus is uh, always arguing about with people about the Sabbath. Why? We talked about it because the commands often got turned into rules. Now, we forget the heart of the command, and we just want to follow a rule. And so I just want to briefly remind us of an episode in Mark chapter 2. Uh, Jesus is going through. He picks a few heads of grain, and the Pharisees say, Ha, I caught you. Can't be the Son of God because you're working on the Sabbath. Gotcha, right? And that's actually the accusations they bring against the high council. He's breaking the Sabbath and telling people to break the Sabbath as well. Um, and Jesus says this. Um, he kind of tells them about David. Um, you know, well, David did the same thing. He broke the law, but he's, you know, the chosen king. And Jesus said, uh, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I like that for two reasons. Not only because it tells us that, uh, you know, this is one of the beneficial laws for us that is to benefit us we're not here just to keep rules is benefit us but also jesus christ is making a claim about his divinity his lordship he's saying hey i'm lord of the sabbath i can do whatever i want the sabbath is subservient to me um, and that would have been a, that may be one of the highest christological statements in scripture for the jewish pharisees and sadducees to say something like that um, but jesus reminds us simply i just want to remind us that it, this is nothing about legalism this is nothing about, I, I better not break anything living in fear because the Sabbath was given out of love and goodness of God's creation, right? Um, but it is a command, so we shouldn't take it lightly. In fact, I'm going to say this morning, it's a spiritual discipline and that some of us need to be reminded it's not legalistic, but some of us need to be reminded it is a discipline that you have to work towards and don't take it lightly. Or you're going to run yourself into some corners, that aren't going to be healthy spiritually. 
Um, and so what does it look like for us? I'm not going to get in the arguments about Saturday or Sunday. Um, this is one that I'm happy for you to follow as closely as you want to. You, could, you, can, you can lay in bed and turn on the TV, or some people say don't watch TV on Sabbath. I've heard that growing up too. But you can just lay in bed and do nothing and stare at the wall. I'm happy if you want to be that legalistic about it. That's a good discipline. Just don't put it on other people. That's the only thing I'd say about you. Whatever your personal convictions and practices for the Sabbath, um, don't make other people feel guilty that they may not be living up to your own standards that God's placed in your life, okay? Um, because that's not following the heart of the gospel. Um, but I think Jesus reminds us that we do need to look at the good and, and how it benefits from us. Um, you need to take a day. Some of us may even be frustrated that I say that. You need to take a day during the week where you don't make any breaks. You need to take a day to stop and rest because rest is good, it is built into creation, but also it's not just a day of kicking back, doing whatever you want. You also need to be very reflective on your Sabbath day to pray, think about, reflect. Why am I able to take a day? Why am I called to take this day? Who am I? I am a child of God. I think, if nothing more, the Sabbath command 3,000 years ago that still applies so much today reminds us that it's, it's easy to forget. It's easy to start buying into Pharaoh's vision. It's so easy to see the world in that way. We have to take a day every week, not only because we need rest, but to remind ourselves lest we get away from it. And for many of us, that day is going to be Sunday. I think historically, traditionally, that day needs to be Sunday. You say, why are you saying it like that, Pastor Andrew? You'll hear in just a second. Um, but take Sunday if you can. If, you, if your job does not absolutely need you to work on Sunday, take Sunday. Because it's already built in. We come to worship on Sunday. Uh, we, we celebrate that, that Jesus Christ was raised on this day. It is our Sabbath. And so we, we come to church and we remember who we are and that God provides for us. And then we have a day to go enjoy to rest. We've done the spiritual reminding and work of a Sabbath day. I actually personally, I, I grew up going to Sunday night church. I know many of us love, have loved Sunday night church in the past. I'm not putting down Sunday night church. I do think there's a theological reason not to have Sunday night church so that people can take a day of rest versus running back and forth. Hear me, I'm not trying to, I'm a pastor. I like church, but I, 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 I am saying that there's a theological reason not to have Sunday night church that allows families to take a day for themselves, other days that are taken up by the, the world, and they can say, no, we're going to guard Sunday. Yes, we're going to come to church. We're going to participate. Why? Because we remind ourselves who we are. So take Sunday if you can. But not all of us can take Sunday. We know that, don't we? Um, some of us have jobs that, you know, as for Rebecca, she guards it because she's a pastor's wife, and they allow that. But people are still sick on Sunday, and we need nurses. Um, and really, I think people need to eat. And well, There's necessities of life that have to go on on Sundays, and so people do need to work. So let me just take, as we think of practical, can I just use myself as an example to kind of help us think through this? Um, this may sound weird because it is my calling and ministry and different things, but it's also my brick making is being a pastor. That's how people see me, right? When they ask me what I do, I'm a, I'm a minister. And, and to you, I am your pastor, and, and so that means that you can come to me and dump on me, that you can talk to me and get spiritual guidance and and different things, and I'm just using this as an example. I need a day that I'm not first and foremost pastor. 
I need a day that I am reminded that I am first and foremost before any job title, any even ministry, we're all called to ministry, any specific calling, I am first and foremost a child of God. I need a day for that. That's my Sabbath day, and Sunday's not that day for me, like many of us that have to work on Sundays. So I take Friday. I know a lot of pastors take Monday. Um, I can't rest and still thinking about what I need to do that week, and so I take Friday after I've done what I have needed to do that week, right? Um, so I take Friday. So I do ask you, maybe you didn't know that, but if you call me or text me on Friday, I'm probably not going to pick up. Um, I hope you won't be offended. Uh, I, I don't do any pastoral visits. I don't come in the, you know, I, I guard it as a Sabbath. Of course, I'm not legalistic about it. And so if you have an emergency, if someone's in the hospital, if there's something that absolutely can't wait till Saturday, I'll, I'll be there. Uh, but just help me and, and help us to know that Friday is my Sabbath and I try to protect it like that. But here's another thing I kind of want to use myself as an example for because I think it'll help us understand how to function as Sabbath. Not only do we take, take a spiritual time, but my brick making, right, is sitting at a desk, writing sermons, taking calls, kind of doing more administrative things. My brick making is not grinding physical labor, okay? So sometimes, you know what's restorative to me after a day of sitting at a desk, you know, a week sitting at a desk, and I'm out driving and different things, but it's, it's sedentary. You know what's kind of restoring to me on a day of rest is to go out there and do some physical labor, right? I may be working on the Airstream, I may be working on the car, but that honestly feels good after a week of making bricks at a desk. Some of us can say amen, right? So I would really say in your Sabbath practice, uh, the difference between 3,000 years ago today it's not just about leisure. In our culture, this is a side note, our culture worships leisure, um, and there's, there's too much leisure to go around. There's not enough rest, right? Rest is not staring at the phone going through, right? That's what our... So whatever is restorative to you, if that's a game of golf, go play a game of golf. Whatever is restorative and relaxing and restful gives you energy you can do that on the Sabbath. I hope we hear that. I mean, I grew up and there was arguments, could the kids go play football in the yard on the Sabbath? Come on. Children, it's a, it's a day of play and rest. And so I would just encourage you, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, you don't need to be legalistic. Whatever gives you rest and restores you. And sometimes, so if you come by on a Friday and you see me working on the Airstream, don't say, boy, pastor's breaking the Sabbath. It's because I've been sitting at a desk making, making bricks and I need to get outside and do something to restore myself. Uh, but pray about it. Uh, but hear me, you need to take a day. Some of us, our break making is giving care to people that's 24-7. And I think we need to defend, you know, whether it be mothers or fathers, or if you're taking care of your parents now, um, you need to get creative. You may not be able to take a 24-hour period. Uh, you may need to take a four hours, you know, a couple four-hour periods, or even if maybe you just can't even get a full 24 hours out of the seven. Again, we're not legalistic. It is made for us. But you still need to say, I need to take time where I'm not always making bricks, taking care of someone. I need to break away. I need to build that in your schedule. That's how I was created. Um, so some of us may not be able to take an entire day. Do you hear me? I'm not, I'm not trying to water it down. I'm trying to get us to come back to the heart of the commandment. The heart of the commandment, as Jesus says, was for us. We were made, uh, we were made for rest and goodness and to remind ourselves of who we are. You need to stop. If you try to go 365, if you're one of these, your schedule is packed out to the max, 
A, I think you're going to crash. But B, you're just not following God's commandments and will for your life. You need to have extra. Do you hear me? That's part of what Sabbath is too. Extra. Don't pack your schedule out. But I wonder if there's some here today, I'm, I'm kind of preaching the choir in some of those rules, but I wonder if there's some here today that just need to hear this. That before you begin a practice of Sabbath, you really do need to come to an encounter with God, with Jesus Christ, and, and realize who you are. That Sabbath is just really re-remembering, reenacting our faith in Christ. And if we don't have faith in Christ, if we're still struggling with who we are, Sabbath is not, it, you know, rest is good, but true Sabbath is meaningless then. I wonder if there's anyone that says, you know, Pastor Andrew, I, maybe I've been in a church building a lot of my life, but I still struggle with shame. I still struggle to define who I am. I struggle to believe Pharaoh's vision. Maybe you can say, I've never really even, I've never trusted my life with Christ. To be able to practice Sabbath, you have to come, and we're about to come to an encounter now. You have to come to the cross. And you have to see that in Jesus Christ, God has provided everything you need. That because God took on flesh and dwelt among us, because of Christ's uh, teachings and ministry, because Jesus Christ gave of his life for you, there should never be any doubt of who you are and who you can be in Jesus Christ. That what it means to come to Christ is simply to stop and to give up on ourselves. To say, I can't save myself. I can't be good enough no matter how hard I try. Do you hear the Sabbath in that? And to say yes to God, that you will depend and trust on Jesus Christ for everything. And when you've made that encounter, when you've made that decision, when you've turned your life over to Christ, then, for the rest of us and all of us, then we just keep practicing that in Sabbath as reminding that I've stopped. It's not up to me. My identity, my worth, and my future belong to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And that nothing I do needs to change that. I can't provide for myself more or less than Jesus Christ has already provided for me. That is not up to my bank account. It's not up to my job. I am a child of God. I am redeemed and washed in the blood. And that is the most powerful thing that anybody can say about me. Amen? And that's the Sabbath. When you're able to stop running, stop making bricks because of the cross that Jesus has provided. Do you know that to be true in your life? Do you know who you are? You shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. On six days you were to work, and on the seventh you were to do no work. It's one of the really kind of weirdest commandments we have if you really think about it. If someone was to just sit down and write a bunch of commandments, I'd probably forget about resting. But I think in the Sabbath commandment, we see God's mercy and love for us. I hope when you take your Sabbath, when you think about what God's done for you, you remember the truth of this commandment. You are not your own. You are a creation of the Most High God. You and everything in the world depends on God's 
provision. And you are not a brick maker. You are a person made in his image. Will you accept that identity? Will you dare to stop? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are God and you provide for us in incredible ways. I thank you that we are able to stop. So I pray in these moments as we respond to your word, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts. Some of us may need to make a decision to turn our lives over to Christ for the first time. Some of us may need to recommit ourselves to, to hear a word from you to say, I am your child and nothing will change that. And maybe for some of us, we'll hear from you about what it means, what it looks like for us to take Sabbath. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. As our servers come, time, come down and, and we prepare our hearts for a time of prayer and reflection and whatever the Holy Spirit wants to lay on our hearts, um, I just ask you to ask, think about all those questions. Who are you? Have you turned your life over to Christ? And what a Sabbath looks like in you? I'd invite you to pray in your seat before you come down to communion. I'd pray, invite you to pray at an altar before or after you take communion. But I believe God has something to say for every one of us. And if nothing else, it's just to remind us of who we are. That you are beloved. You were washed in the blood. You are a child of God. And communion is so fitting on a Sabbath day because we are partaking, we're participating in the grace of Christ that allows us to stop. That if it wasn't for the sacrifice of Jesus, for him laying his life on the line for us, I wouldn't be as bold to tell you who you are. It's only because what Jesus has done in the cross that we are able to stop and say, it's going to be okay. God will provide. He has provided for us. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat whenever you do in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. said, this is the cup of the covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink whenever you do in remembrance of me. When you're ready, come down and remember the reason you're able to rest. Let us continue in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, oh man, we are so grateful for all you have done for us and are going to do for us. We thank you that you have provided for us in a mighty way through Jesus Christ. And here we are just to simply declare that we are your children, your uh, people. All of our trust is in you. Our identity is found in nothing else but Jesus Christ. May it be so, Lord. May you protect us as we go out into the world every day to remind us of who we are, that we are secure in your hands, that you are bigger than our problems, that you make a way when there is no way, and that you are a good, good Father who loves to provide for us, who loves to protect us, and who will never forsake us. 
And so I pray for those who are going through storms right now, carrying heavy burdens. I pray that your spirit would just encompass their lives, that they would always be reminded every second of the day that you have them, that you will protect them and you will provide. And when we are going through the storms, Lord, may we not doubt, may we not uh, struggle needlessly, but may we find security and peace through your presence. For those who are looking for work, Lord, or who are having trouble at their jobs, would you uh, speak peace and strength and, and goodness into their lives and provide for them? Open up jobs for those who need them, Lord. And may even in the interim time, may they trust that you are the provider that you will always provide for us. For those who are carrying a burden of uh, maybe it's division or strife in their family, uh, maybe it's uh, concern over things to come, uh, maybe it's litigation, Lord, that, that's um, pressing in. May you just give a sense of security to them, provide for them the relief that they need from these issues and these struggles, Lord, um, and may you bring them to a resolution quickly. Uh, those who are have dealing with health problems, deal, those that deal with chronic pain, Lord, when our bodies begin to fail us, we begin to doubt that you will provide and that you have us, Lord. But as we remember that even though we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. So be with those with cancer diagnoses, those who are praying for, for healing, Lord, those who are recovering from surgery. May your strength be enough for them. May they see you working in their lives in tangible ways. We lift up the ministries of this church, Lord, and pray that you would continue to bless them. We thank you for our district assembly and the leadership of Greg Mason and our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we just pray for all of our churches that you will bless them, uh, that, that we will stay faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we will be faithful to proclaim it to those who don't know it. Um, and Lord, may people see the gospel, the good news, uh, your providence in our ministries, whether it be the preschool ministry or the food pantry, uh, the NA groups that meet here on a regular basis, Lord, um, our Sunday school, our worship, all of it may be filled with your spirit, may be filled with good news, and may people come to know you. May they come to know rest from a weary world. And may we provide a space for that. May we model that for others. We love you, Heavenly Father. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Help us to pray as you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen amen church family would you stand with me my last pastor uh, dwight gunner every sunday he'd say the same thing and every Sunday, it was a reflection of the Sabbath day. So receive this benediction that I have received many times over myself. This is the day created just for you. Go out in it and rest. Enjoy it. Knowing 
that God will provide.